Hi there. Welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. We're so happy that you tuned in. Please join us today as we continue our series through the book of Matthew. Hey, thanks for joining us online as we go through a series called Asking for a Friend. Have you ever had one of those questions where you know you're supposed to know the answer, but you are so embarrassed to ask it? And then you kind of just pose it as, hey, I'm asking for a friend. Can anybody help me out with the answer to this question? Through this series, we will learn that Jesus loves to hear us asking him questions. And he loves to answer those back. If you are new or a regular, Thank you so much for logging in. We appreciate all of your um, love and support and generosity through all of these series that we uh, present for you guys. If this is your first time, please log on to www.branchlife.church backslash connect. And in there, you will be able to fill out a connection card. We would love to give you a new Matthew journal as a free gift for, um, logging in and joining us. If you would like more information about our church, you can also go to the website and we you can find out some events that what's going on and some more um, series that we have already done and just ways to help encourage you. So thanks for jumping in and we hope you enjoy this new series. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 19, we are jumping into our series. Remember, we're asking questions for a friend. So if you could ask God anything, knowing that he would directly answer your question, what would you ask? Well, that thing happened over and over and over again in the book of Matthew. And in this section of our study, we're seeing what questions people ask Jesus. They got the opportunity to ask him a question, and so they brought him some doozies. And uh, if you're joining us for the first time, we want to make sure that you are welcome by grabbing one of these Matthew journals. Get one of these before you leave. Our gift to you, we're running through Matthew. We've made it through Matthew chapter 19. Today, it might be one of those days where I will ask for a little bit of extra prayer. Because this may be one of the most difficult passages for a pastor to speak on. And uh, we, we get to do that today. But I think God's got some good in it for us, so I'm excited Uh, about where he's going to lead us and where he's going to take to us. Uh, So just let's open with a time of just praying over this morning's question and passage and how God will implant his word in our lives. Lord, as we uh, come to you today, uh, we know you're present with us here in the house of the Lord. Whether we're watching on the live stream in the living room, Lord, whether we're watching on our phones, found it on YouTube, Lord, or just here in this place. 
God, would you speak and move in our hearts? Would you speak to our situation? Would you speak to our circumstances? And would you allow the power of the Holy Spirit to move mightily in our spirits, uh, Lord, in our steps, in our actions, and in our relationships today? So God, we've come to hear from you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So this Christmas, I kind of pride myself on attempting to be a good gift giver for my, for my wife. And so generally I'll come up with some sort of theme and then the, the gifts that I get will be connected to that theme. And so if she's got a certain goal or if she's trying to do something. Or she, so one year she wanted to start gardening, so that was the theme for that birthday or that Christmas season. So there was some gardening tools, there was a gardening bag, a little bench she could take out to the, the place where she could sit, a gardening bench that was permanent, one that came back and forth, and a book about how to garden. She got into interior design, so one year the theme was all Chip and Joanna Gaines, right? You know, I'm pretty proud of myself. So I was getting pretty good at this. So not that I was trying to phone it in, but I was thinking this Christmas, like what could I do uh, for my wife that would be special as, uh, you know, Neither of us are huge on like special fancy gifts, so just something thoughtful and practical is kind of the way that I usually go. So what's happened for both my wife and I over the last couple of years is we've, we've together gone through a, like a, a, a physical fitness journey. And we've been working at watching what we eat, we've been uh, doing like keto and stuff together, we've been working out, and she was, she was getting into this kind of like new workout routine. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to help her hit her goals with this new workout routine that she's starting. And so Christmas is going to be like workout gear stuff. I'm going to make sure that she's got, you know, the right equipment and the weights that she needs and, and the, the books and, and the, the app that will help encourage you along the way. And our, our weigher, our weight thing that takes our weight in our bathroom is old. It's like 20 years old. So I'll get her a new scale. But not just any scale. Like, this scale will talk to your phone. Like, this is my dream scale. Like, it does measurement, body measurements. It, like, tells you where you've been and where you're going. And I, I found this scale online. I'm like, it's not a cheap scale. Like, this isn't a nice gift. This could be the big gift for the holiday season. So, yeah, you know how Christmas went. Gave her the scale, and literally the words out of her mouth, Michelle, it was like, this is not for me, is it? <laughs> so, <clears throat> since Christmas, Jen's been asking this question. Is marriage forever? <laughs> Am I stuck with this guy for the rest of my life? Like, literally, I've crossed a line. I knew it immediately what had happened, and although my intentions were good, it is the worst thing you could buy your bride is a scale. Uh, and it was, I had perfect logic in my mind, but practically it was horrible in every way, shape, or form. I don't blame her for wanting to say, all right, can I get out of this, right? Is there a way, get me on, off this on-ramp, off this highway, I want to take the next off-ramp, and, and what am I supposed to do with marriage? This is a question that every single one of us have asked, are asking, or will be asking. 
Whether you're single now and you're thinking about marriage or, or thinking about wanting to be married someday, whether you're getting ready to get married, whether you're newly wed or been married for 20 years, been married for 30 years, whether you've already had some relationships that have ended in divorce or whether uh, uh, you're considering having a relationship ending in divorce, you have asked yourself this question, is marriage forever? And this is the question in Matthew chapter 19 that was asked to Jesus. So if you have your Bibles... Let's go to Matthew 19. Let's just travel through this together. In Matthew chapter 19, uh, Jesus had just answered the question that we talked about last week about forgiveness. And in 19 verse 1, page 102 in your journals, it says this, Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings all about forgiveness, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and a large crowd followed him, and he healed them there. And the Pharisees, so the religious leaders of the day who were against Jesus, came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? In other words, marriage forever, or can I get out of it? Now, I want you to understand the setting for the question, because it's super important. Sometimes we ask questions because we legitimately want to know the answer, right? Teacher, help me understand this answer. Sometimes we ask questions because we want to make a point. We don't really care what your answer is. We are just declaring something with the question that we're asking in the setting that we're at. And other times we ask questions to trap people. Sometimes TV interviewers will do this to the people that they're interviewing. They're going to ask them a question because there's really no right way to answer it. It's going to get you in trouble with somebody. In Matthew chapter 19, this question is asked not as genuine seeking knowledge, but to trap. This is a trap that was set. They were trying to get Jesus into the great divorce debate. The great divorce debate is not a new debate that's been happening. It has been happening since the beginning of time. The debate is alive and well today. It'll be alive and well tomorrow. We're not going to solve it here this morning. And it was alive and well in Jesus' time. This is, the day as old, this is a debate as old as man and woman themselves. We've always been asking ourselves, how long, how, is this forever, what is marriage, what should our relationship look like, relationship status questions are the big debate, and there's always been strong opinions at it on every side, and so when it comes to marriage in the great divorce debate, some people will say, once married, always married, can I get a divorce? No, never. You're married to that person that you made your vows to for the rest of your life. And on the other side of the argument, some people say, of course you can. You can get a divorce, you can switch it up, you can, you can switch for any reason. There's, there's lots of legit ways and purposes and reasons why you can't, don't have to stay together as husband and wife. And so it's back and forth, and who's right, and where is it going to be? And back in, in Jesus' day, just to give you some historical context in this, the question that they ask reveals that this is about the debate, not about genuine knowledge, not about seeking the truth from God. They asked Jesus, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any reason? Let's look exactly at the lettering of the question. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Well, why did they ask it that way? In Jewish culture, there were two camps of people who were interpreting the Old Testament law. And one camp read Moses' instructions on divorce, and when it, it said the word improper, and he allowed for a divorce with something that was improper. And then they were debating about whether or not what that word meant. 
And so the stricter group said it was a very limiting word. It was for very, very specific circumstances, and it was really rare that someone would get a divorce. That was one side. On the other side of the Jewish culture, there was a group saying, you can put them away for anything that's improper. And literally, the examples that we have from historians, if you didn't like her cooking, you can divorce your wife. If you didn't like uh, what, how she weighed on that new scale, you can divorce your wife. If you didn't like uh, the outfit that she if she laughed funny, you can divorce your wife. Like, it just, if the hair turns gray, out, right? Like, and they were just putting them away for any reason. And then they were saying that it is lawful, it's permitted by the laws, permitted by God to do that. And so when they asked Jesus this question, he was going to make somebody upset. He was going to make somebody mad. He was going to lose followers. And I want you today to understand I'm in this same soup. <laughs> it's very easy in this discussion to make somebody mad or somebody upset. It's very easy to turn someone off or away from the church. And I want to encourage you to listen today with an open heart. We're simply going to explore what God says on this matter. And listen to the end. Don't just click off if you hear something that sounds like something you disagree with. And we're not intending to want to hurt anyone's feelings or, or go through any, rehash any hardships that anybody has gone through. Another reason that this is such a difficult topic is because divorce has touched every single one of our lives. It's, it's in your family. It's, it, you could be children of divorced parents. You could have aunts and uncles that have been divorced. You have friends, family members, church members who have gone through divorce. And, it's, and for every single one of us that have traveled through divorce, whether it's our relationship, our immediate family's relationship, or friends that are around us, we know how hard and painful and difficult that is. It hurts. And it hurts for a reason. And there are some even here today that are, have fresh wounds from divorce. Today might not be the best day to have this conversation for you. But I know that God will give you the grace for it. This, this is not intended to, to reopen those wounds or put shame on you in any way, shape, or form. As a matter of fact, we want to be a church that does a great job at wrapping our arms around hurt and wounded people. And so, so desperately today, I want you to hear my love, not my judgment in any way, shape, or form. The other reason that this is a difficult debate is because it's complicated. No two situations are the same. No relationship is exactly like any other relationship. It's complicated in the Word of God. There is debate on the statements and on the word and on the issues. And so we are trying to understand an extremely complicated situation that doesn't have a simple one-word blanket answer. And so we understand all of these things are weighing on this topic this morning. And, and what I want to do is pause here for a moment and ask a broader question. How do we deal with difficult topics as Christians? Like, what should you do when you come up to a hot debate, or you're in a trap, or you're trying to figure out that a, something that a lot of good people disagree on? How should you go about figuring this out? And that's a, that's a great thing to think about. Let me give you this principle for, for addressing difficult issues, especially scriptural issues. You must honor God's word as the final authority. Let that be kind of the bottom line about how you try to answer any complicated, controversial question. 
always aim to honor God's word as the final authority. That's exactly what Jesus did in this moment. He knew he was stepping into a trap. He knew he was stepping into a difficult issue. He knew friends and family members and followers that were going through this difficult, these difficult journeys and these trials. And he knew whatever he said might cause some controversy, might cause some anger. And so what does Jesus do with a complicated issue? Look at verse 4. He answered, have you not read that he who created from the beginning made them male and female. Jesus immediately runs to the very words of creator God. He said, I'm going to honor God's word as my final authority. So take whatever controversial issue you want. If you're reading something in the Bible, whether it's divorce or remarriage, whether it's end times, whether it's spiritual gifts, whether it's current issues, what you want to ask yourself first is what does God Almighty say? And let me try to find his word. We're going to look at his words on marriage and divorce because that's what Jesus does. Now, then you want to ask yourself, what does Jesus say? And if I believe that Jesus is God's son, well, his words carry weight and they carry the weight of God's words themselves. As we're exploring scripture, there's other voices that get brought into it. What does Moses say? So what does the Old Testament say? What does Paul say? What does the New Testament say? And if these are words from God, how do they come together? And what you're going to find is that the words of God given by God himself, whether we're quoting God Almighty, whether we're hearing from the teachings of Jesus, whether we're hearing from men that were inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Trinity has shown up to give us the words of God. And these teachings are not going to be in conflict with one another. They're going to complete each other. They're going to match up with God's words and God's principles. And what's happening through Scripture is they're trying, Scripture is simply trying to help us apply God's truth to our complicated and broken lives. And that's, that's a lifelong task that we all are on. And it comes up in this moment. So for the complicated issues, we honor God's word as final authority. And if God says it and I disagree with it, who am I going to go with? Honor God. If God says it and the world disagrees with who am I going to go with? Honor God. Right? So I'm, I'm constantly honoring God with these complicated issues. But why is it we, it's always hardest to trust God when it comes to our money and our marriage? I mean, if, if you have trust in God issues, this is where it's going to show up. You're going to think that you have a better plan for your money than God does. And so you're going to do it your way. And so dealing with money becomes a really difficult issue. And if you have God's plan for money going on in your life, that's, that's a sign that you're honoring God as final authority. Like God says to be radically generous with your money. And, and the world says, no, you've got to save it. You've got to invest it. You've got to build your wealth and multiply it over time. And God says the great way to multiply your wealth is to give it away. Wait, that doesn't make any sense. I'm going to go with this or am I going to go with God, right? It's hard. Same thing happens with marriage. You see, the world has a radically different idea on marriage than God does. The world says that it's absolutely fine to go ahead and sleep around with people. That it's probably a good idea to live together first before you decide to get married because then, then you can kind of do a like, test run. Like, logically, that makes sense, right? Like, I test drove my truck before I bought it. And then I decided to buy it, or I turned one down. I do the same with marriage. I'm not, I'm not saying we're, we're dumb and we're foolish. But God has come and said, no, 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 there's a different plan for marriage that looks different than the world. And God's plan for marriage, 
God's design of marriage is so that our marriages would represent something that's completely different than people who don't know God. And people would see our marriages and they would see that they're different. Not that they're perfect, not that we're holier than thou, not that we're judging everybody else, but there's something special in marriage when you do it God's way. And that's going to be a light and a brightness that's going to come and, 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 and spread his love to other people. And they're going to say, I want what you have. I want to know what you know. I want to know who you know. And yes, if our story does include divorce as Christians, there's a way to travel through that that equally honors God's plan. And God can walk us through that in a spectacular fashion, in a way that will honor him, in a way that we can love him through it and keep him first and honor his word as final authority. And God can even cause good to come out of divorce. But that's not what... That's not what the world thinks. And so God's going to institute and God's going to remind us through Jesus what his purpose of marriage is. So let's simply go to God's word and see how this answer gets, this question gets answered. So let's read starting again in verse 4. Remember he was asked, is it lawful divorce in any case? And he answered this. Have you not read that he who was created from the beginning, so this is coming from creator God himself, he made them male and female. And he said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they are one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Verse 7. Well, then they said to him, Why then did Moses command us to give a certificate of divorce and then send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed for you to divorce your wives from the beginning. It was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now here's an interesting paragraph that we often skip over but don't. Verse 10. The disciples said to him, if this is such a case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive the saying, but only to those who is given. For there are eunuchs, people who were physically unable to complete the act of marriage, who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, often by punishment. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, by choice. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. So as we unpack this passage today, I want to give us just kind of three statements, summary statements that that come from each of these three sections. So there's three sections that we went through. And, And this is what God says in Matthew chapter 19 about marriage. First, he says, verses four through 16, you cannot unone what God has made one. That's a direct quote from Andy Stanley, who is the, the pastor of the largest church in America right now. Andy Stanley says this way, you can't unone what God has made one. And, and I've thought about this over and over again, and I, I think about this cup of tea that I have. And I, I usually drink coffee on Sunday mornings, but I am drinking decaffeinated tea today. And at this point in the morning, I usually have had several shots of caffeine. I've had none. So I'm, I'm running on uh, fumes this morning. 
But what happened when I put my tea in is I filled the cup with water and I put some artificial sweetener there and I added the tea bag and I dropped it in. And what's happened is it has totally changed my drink. What used to be water in one place and kind of herbs in another now have come together and they've melted together and they have formed a drink of tea. Now, if somebody said to me, go ahead and split that back up. I want you to separate the tea now from the water. And I want you just to have the pure water on one side and the tea back on another. It's, you can't. It's, it's become one. And what often happens in this consideration is the question is being asked, if God has made something one, you can't now break it into two. That's just not how it works. And this comes up over and over again, right? We see it that this is a quote directly from Genesis chapter 2, verses 24. So you can go to Genesis 2, 24, and you can read this quote. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, this came up again, this exact same idea, let no man separate. 1 Corinthians 7, 10, Malachi 2, 10 brings this up, and it, it brings us back to this thought of what a covenant is. What are vows before God and man? These, these more than promises that can be broken, a vow or a covenant is an agreement that's made that, that doesn't get undone. It has weight, it has significance to this. The, the, the marriage covenant before God and man is binding. It causes the two to become one. And principle-wise, you just can't undo that. Now, the second thing that comes up in verses 7 through 9, says this, God commands marriage before, be for life, yet may permit divorce in limited circumstances. And this is crazy. You've got to see this in the text, what happens. In verse 7, make sure you put your eyeballs there, they asked him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Look at Jesus' answer. He said to them, because of your hardness of hearts, Moses allowed or permitted. You see, there was error in the thinking of these Pharisees. They thought Moses had commanded that you get a divorce if there was something improper. What, Moses, what Jesus is saying, he said, no, 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 go look at it again. He permitted divorce in limited circumstances. God commanded it be forever, then Moses permitted it in limited circumstances. How, how do we wrestle with that? Simply say it this way. God commanded marriage be forever. Man came along and broke it. Sin came along and broke it. The design has been broken. Now we have two sinful people trying to make a perfect union, and it's, it's, it's very, very difficult. It takes work and intentionality, and, and man has come along, and we have broken God's design for marriage, and it's, in some places, irrevocably broken. And when two sinful people are going to get together, there's going to be train wrecks along the way. Sin is going to take over. Bad choices are going to happen. And circumstantially, now we have to apply God's design for marriage to a broken world. And there are situations and circumstances where it is no longer even possible for two to be one. For one to be one. To be one. It's been broken. What, what this is kind of akin to is this idea, and I, I, again, I don't mean to hurt your feelings with this illustration. When you made vows to become husband and wife, you became husband and wife. 
You became one. And God says, don't. You can't undo something that God has done. But sin has come along and it's broken it. And now over and over again, we are taking what is one and we are turning it into two. And it's always a painful, difficult, heart-wrenching, gut-turning process. Why? Because we went against the design. Divorce always hurts. And if you've traveled through that, you know that it's painful. You know that it's complicated. You know that there are lasting effects that you're never going to be able to put totally behind you. It's painful in the relationship. It's painful in your family. It's painful on your economy. It's painful on your finances. It's painful on your emotions. It's painful on your logistics. It's painful on your holidays. Why is it so hard to travel through divorce? Because it's undoing something that shouldn't have been undone. But sometimes in a broken world, it happens. And it's always painful. And so when that circumstances were, were unavoidable. God allowed for it through Moses. There's many, many explanations of these allowances in Scripture. So again, Deuteronomy 24, Matthew chapter 19, then in verse 9, we're reading right now, 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 15, talks about um, uh, the allowances and circumstances that might allow for divorce. And so does Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. A lot of the same passages that talk about the unbreakable covenant. And then the third principle that comes along is this, this third one, and this is the one where we often kind of race past it, but please don't because this is amazing. Singleness is a gift from God. What's all this talk about eunuchs, some who are born that way, some who are made to be eunuchs, forced to be single and celibate, and some that are, are choose to be single and celibate? Why, why are we having that discussion? Well, God says that for, for those that are, are, have this path or go on this journey of singleness, whether it's by choice or not, whether it's because of a disaster relationship that's ended and now you find yourself single or maybe you're never going to get married or you decide you don't want to get married, that's an okay thing to decide. Your, your life is not somehow incomplete. You're not somehow less than everybody else. You're not missing out on the greatness of life. Singleness is a gift and God can pour in through and work through single people in ways that he can't married people. Some of the most incredibly effective people in scripture were single a.k.a. Paul, the guy who wrote the New Testament. Oh yeah, Jesus never got married. Single the whole way through, right? God uses singleness in, in, in special and powerful ways. I could tell you story after story after a friend of mine who I'm like, they're awesome, they're amazing, they totally should be married, but they're not married and God is doing incredible things in their life and their ministry because they're single. It's just it's an amazing thought to say, hey, singleness can be a gift. Our culture doesn't often look at, at it that way. So with these three principles in mind, let me give you some, some uh, guidelines to live by, all right? So now we're going to take principles, guidelines, and we're going to try to put them into our lives today. And again, this is where it gets complicated. We've seen those statements in Scripture. We're trying to understand them. Now, what do we do? Five guiding principles. Number one, determine your convictions beforehand. In this area, whenever possible, determine your convictions beforehand. You need to decide where you stand, what you believe God teaches for your life in this area before you get married. 
And you want to be able to make that commitment before marriage and so that you can ideally come together before your wedding and say, we are standing on this conviction and we believe that we're going to be one and that we're going to stay together forever. That's, that's going to put your foot on the firmest, uh, your, your marriage on the firmest foundation. That was not an option for all of us. Not everybody could determine it beforehand, but when you can, figure it out soon. And so you want to do the work of determining your conviction. You want to read the scriptures. You want to understand the debate. You want to have the conversations. You want to listen to the sermons. And you want to determine what you believe God is saying and teaching on this for yourself. Second, give grace when brothers see it differently. This issue may be more than any other issue, and there are many issues that cause division in the church, has godly men and women in different positions. The position that we all must have is a high view of Scripture, right? Honor God's authority, God's word as final authority. In that group of people who are honoring God's word as final authority, there are many that see it differently. Even in our pastoral team, we see it differently. My favorite authors see it differently. My favorite preachers see it differently. My favorite theologians see it differently. And it's been that case all the way through time. Back into Jesus' day. We struggle to understand the practical play out of this. So if a godly man or a woman comes to a conclusion or comes to a conviction through proper study and a heart that says, I want to follow God, yet they see it differently than you in this area within the realm of interpretation, just give them grace. They might be right, you might be wrong. And we have to have room for understanding in where it's not clear and where it is complicated. So pour out grace when someone sees it different. Third, God created marriage for our good. What an incredible principle. And if I could reword the principle, I would add another line to it. God created marriage for our good. So fight for your marriage, right? Fight for your marriage. Like the marriage is an amazingly good thing for you and for your spouse. The marriage is a good thing for our world and for our church. Healthy families make healthy churches. Healthy, healthy families make healthy communities. Healthy families make healthy worlds. God has built this for our good. And he wants mom and dad to be in a healthy relationship as they raise their kids so that they can see what it looks like to be uh, connected with God and the church. To be the bride of Christ is represented in the bride and, and groom relationship here on earth. It's good. And so your marriage is meant and it's designed to be good. And God has that for his will for your life. Fourth, divorce is only to be a radical last resort. When Jesus took his position on divorce, he took a more conservative line than either of the two camps being represented. The one camp said, divorce him for any reason. And Jesus is saying, nope, that's not it. The other one said, divorce him, divorce him when it's improper and we're going to define improper. And Jesus went even further and he said, nope, you can't undo what God has done. And he took, he took a stance and he, he gave this instruction out of the hardness of your heart because of sin Moses has allowed for divorce, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality marries another. He then became very specific. And he talked about this idea of sexual immorality. And he says, divorce is only to be a radical last resort. It is not, a, is not inconsequential that this discussion comes after the largest teaching on forgiveness in the Bible. 
And last week we talked about forgiveness. Last week we talked about the parable of the person who had been forgiven everything and wouldn't go out and forgive someone else. And now we're talking about marriages and, and divorce and remarriage. And Jesus is saying, listen, even if there is permission for divorce, I still say it's good. I still say it can't be undone. I still say it's something that you should fight for. Even if it might be permitted, it doesn't mean you should go and do it. You should fight for forgiveness. You should fight for unity. You should fight for one another for the sake of your testimony, for the sake of your kids, for the sake of your marriage that yet could be good, even though in this moment you don't feel like it. It should be a radical last resort, unavoidable, can't get out of it. And then fifth, relationship status does not equal happiness. Maybe that's the principle you need to be reminded of today. Your husband does not exist to make you happy. Your wife does not exist to make you happy. You don't need a girlfriend to make you happy. You don't need a boyfriend to make you happy. Relationship status does not equal happiness. Our happiness comes from our relationship with God. When we walk with God in the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit, He fulfills us, He completes us, He works through us. My joy, my strength, my love, my life comes from being rooted in Jesus Christ. My marriage then should be an outflow of that relationship. And so no matter what happens in my marriage, no matter if I have to go through a difficult, hard journey of divorce, no matter if I'm in a marriage where we just aren't seeing eye to eye, or if I'm stuck being signal, stuck being signal, none of those things should be a, a determine your, marriage, your happiness. You can still have a happy, complete, and full life. And you'll hear people who talk about uh, marriages that, that are uh, not healthy and they'll say you should get divorced because it's going to be the only way the two of you are going to be happy. That's what the world thinks. You don't need another person to make you happy. And that's a horrible job to put on someone else's shoulders because <laughs> we can't do it. We can't make each other happy. We're going to buy the wrong Christmas gift from time to time. So depend on God for your happiness, not each other. Now, I just quickly want to go through some last details and then we're going to let you go for the day. And this is just to give you some, some, some of the answers for the most commonly asked questions that we receive as pastors and that are out there in our culture. So here's three questions. Is there more for my marriage? Is divorce and remarriage an option for me? And if I'm divorced or remarried, does God see me? All right, so we're, how does God see me? So we're kind of peeling back the layers. We're going a little bit deeper with every one of these phases in our, in our discussion today. First, is there more for your marriage? There are a lot of messy marriages out there. And they're messy for a lot of different reasons. Like I said, it's complicated. When marriage is messy, the best path forward is to cling to the truth of God's word, right? Hold on to his promises, do what he's telling you to do, stay with your convictions, and then do the next right thing. If you're sitting here today and you're in a marriage that's messy, you're in a marriage where one or the other has fallen away from God, you've fallen out of love with each other, you don't see eye to eye, there's conflict in the home, you're in a me messy marriage situation, you need to run and cling to God. You need to run to his word, you need to cling to his word, you need to remember his promises that he can work all things together for good, that a little bit of faith can move a mountain, that there is hope in this messy situation for your marriage. Never forget that. Then do the next right thing. Whatever that is. And it might be the loving thing from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Patient, kind, not keeping record of wrongs. Do the loving thing. Show your spouse some step of love, whether it be small or big. Maybe the next right thing for you is the forgiving thing. Maybe you need to forgive them for that hurt. Maybe you need to forgive them for that 
awful Christmas present. Maybe you need to forgive them for the words that they said. Maybe that's the next right thing for you. And maybe for you, the next right thing is the helpful thing. Marriages, every marriage, needs help from time to time. Get counseling. Recruit your small group. Invest in your marriage. Fight for your marriage. Go to the conference. Read the book. Do the devotional. Whatever it might be, do something helpful that will help your marriage. And let me just say this as a bonus point. You can't control your spouse. The only person you can control is yourself. You can't change them. The only person you can change is yourself. And so you need to invest in being the best husband or wife that you can be in God's eyes, no matter what the situation is. Let me give you two quick resources. Resource number one, the the book Love and Respect. And no matter where you are in the marriage journey, if you're just starting, if your marriage is great, if your marriage is messy, this book will be an encouragement to you. And we have a small group that's going to be meeting, I think, every other Tuesday or every other Thursday. Go to our groups page at Branch Life, and they're simply going to travel through this book together as couples. It's our marriage small group, and you can join it just for this season while they're going over this book. And this is a way that you can invest in your marriage. Maybe for you, it's the next helpful thing. No, your spouse doesn't have to come. You can do this just for yourself. Or you can do this together, or you can read this together, or you can pray together.